Hey, to all the real estate professionals out there, I want to let you know The Buyer's Mind is sponsored by Homebridge Financial. Homebridge loan officers are experts in new home financing, and they bring sales ideas and strategies and market intelligence and programs that will help sell homes. To learn more about that, go to builder.homebridge.com. Homebridge Financial, home financing made easy. How do you feel about negotiating? Does that excite you? Does that scare you? Because if you're in sales, you better get good at it. We're going to give you a hot tip as to how to get good at negotiating on today's episode of The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shaw. Well, greetings, everyone, once again to The Buyer's Mind. And uh, this is the podcast where we want to help you to be better by understanding what your customer is going through. And on the show today, we've got a a lengthy interview, so I'm not going to spend much time here. We've got a lengthy interview with Jeb Blunt, uh, the author of 11 books, the most recent inked, all about how you can dramatically improve your negotiating skills. And I think that if you're like most people, uh, negotiating is something if you're in the sales business where uh, it, there's a lot of a, a lot of misconceptions about it, a lot of things out there that we don't quite fully understand. And sometimes we get a little intimidated when we get into that negotiation. And the problem is when we get intimidated, we violate one of the rules that Jeb Blunt talks about right from the very beginning, having to do with emotional control. So I got into this conversation with Jeb and and Jeb and his organization, you know, they they work with with huge, huge companies uh, all, all around the world. So he certainly knows what he's talking about when it comes down to all of this. I think you're going to love this conversation with the great Jeb Blunt. Well, so very, very thrilled to have back on the program, the one, the only Jeb Blunt. Jeb has written, he's just written his 11th book. And I just want to tell you right now, if you do not have a a shelf full of Jeb's books uh, in your library and you're in the sales profession, you are missing out. Whether it's uh, Sales EQ, whether it's his any of his fanatical series, uh, his last book, Objections, was just absolutely amazing. And now a brand new book called Inked. And we're really, really excited to have uh, Jeb on the program to tell us all about Inked and how we can be better negotiators. Jeb, thanks for joining us once again, a return visit on The Buyer's Mind. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. And for everybody listening, my voice is uh, trashed right now. So uh, <laughs> I apologize. It's trying to heal. But but being on this show was too important to uh, to rest. Not, and Jeff, you got a brand new book coming out soon, too, don't you? It, it's uh, it's with the publisher now. It'll be out this summer. Yeah, all on follow up skills. So thanks, sir, uh, for the nod. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and just a, important thing, right? Follow up. I mean, that's uh, it's it's part of the deal. It's not following up, right? That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, and uh, for the audience, I, I know that Jeb is ill of voice. I I gave him the option. I said, if you want to reschedule Jeb, he said, no, 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 no. The show must go on. And so here we go. He's the consummate pro. Uh, Jeb, let's talk. Let's just dive right in here and talk about the book. This is your 11th book. Before we get into the topic itself, is it difficult for you to come up with new topics? I mean, 11 books, that's a lot of books. Or do 
you look and you go, no, 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 no. I've already got this book in me. So I, I kind of knew. How do you go about deciding what you want to write when? Because you probably got more s- still in your mind that you could have written. How do you decide how to go about writing a book? Well, you know, I just look at what's happening. I spent a lot of time out in the field because I travel. Uh, last year, I traveled 300 nights. And so I'm with salespeople in every country around the world. I mean, you, just, you can imagine everywhere I go. And I started looking for patterns. Like, what are the patterns that people are having a difficult time with? So whether it's objections or sales negotiation skills or how to deal with other human beings, I, st- I take a look at it. And then I focus on sort of a micro subject. So sales is a vast, complex right. profession. And there have been hundreds and hundreds of books written. So I'm I'm really dialing down, just like you are with follow, we follow-up skills, it, dialing down on a single subject where it's, salespeople struggle and where I see a lot of struggle from people from all walks of life, all types of industries. And that's generally where I start. And, um, and then I, I build out from there. I think the hardest part though, is, you know, is treating each of those subjects differently and making each book both connected and standalone and be interesting for people. And, uh, and this, this book was particularly difficult to write because we're dealing with negotiation and negotiation is a, a skill that we all must have because we're all negotiating all the time. Everything you can possibly imagine has been written about negotiation. But the one thing that was missing was sales specific negotiation and what salespeople go through when they sit at the negotiation table. So a lot of books on negotiation are written for lawyers or people buying mm-hmm. real estate doing mergers or are teaching you how to go to negotiate, you know? So how do you go to a flea market and negotiate? But it doesn't teach you what to do when you sit down at the table with a buyer who has a lot more power and a lot more alternatives than you have. And your commission check is on the line. And sometimes your job is on the line. How do you negotiate a good deal under those circumstances? And there frankly was nothing else on the market for that. And that's where I started with Inked was how was focused completely on salespeople, nothing else. How do salespeople negotiate in their world dealing with buyers? So there's nothing in this book that teaches you how to be a better negotiator if you're buying a house. It mm-hmm. teaches you how to be a better negotiator if you're selling a house, if that makes right. sense. Sure, absolutely. And I, I I could see your take on it. Like we had not that long ago, we had Chris Voss on the show, you know, former FBI negotiator, hostage negotiator. And it was fascinating. The principles were great, but you had to really reach to ask the question, okay, well, how am I going to turn this into something that I do every day in this environment? And, and again, nothing against Chris. It was an incredible show, but it's a different subject matter than if you're talking about what you do. And, and when you think about the buyer having more power and more alternatives, as you just said, we'll get into some of the the, the uh, technique side of things, I'm sure that's why people buy the book. They're going to go, I want to learn the technique side. But Matt, if you don't have the mindset down, it doesn't really matter. So you have an entire section of the book designated for what you call emotional discipline. Can you talk about that just a little bit about getting the mindset right first before we even start thinking about the skill set? Well, emotional discipline is the heart of being a master negotiator because the person at the negotiation table that has the most control over their emotions will tend to get the outcome that they desire. So it's crucial that you gain emotional control. And for salespeople in particular, because of all the variables that are out there into the quarter, 
got to make a commission check, got to pay my bills, bosses on my rear end, want to be the number one salesperson, buyers telling me that they're going to go to my competitor, buyer has more power and more alternatives. For all of those reasons, you have to begin with emotional control. And so mm-hmm. in the book, and this is a follow on from Objections and Sales EQ, we talk about emotional control and how to gain emotional control and the pieces and parts of getting emotional control. And one of the, the, the things that we teach, and you mentioned Chris Voss, and I love Chris, and yeah. I, I love never, never Split the Difference. I think his, his book is brilliant. Um, it is, but yeah. we, Exactly what you said. I'm not negotiating like with terrorists. I'm not trying to get a hostage loose. I'm trying to to get out of a deal that I have at three o'clock in the afternoon with ink on paper, and I got to move to the right. next one. And mm-hmm. it's an imperfect world. But when salespeople fail at the negotiation table, number one reason, number one reason, is because they lack emotional control. And when they lack emotional control, they being, begin to give their leverage away. And when they give their leverage away, they have no way of bidding the behavior of the buyer, and therefore they're at the mercy of whatever the buyer wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, you're at the mercy of whatever an emotional buyer wants, because if that emotion gets played, I'm sure you've seen this over and over again. If the emotion card gets played and you don't respond to that uh, appropriately, uh, suddenly now you're into a conversation that's frankly, it's spinning out of control. There's almost nothing to bring it back if that salesperson isn't there as a sort of a foundation for everything that's going to happen next. You're exactly right. And buyers know how to play on sellers. Sure. Motion. So, yeah, you know, it's yeah. sort of the, the carrot, um, like, I don't know what you call it, the carrot gambit, where they go, well, Jeff, you know, if you could give me this, I've got a whole lot more business for you in the future. Or, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. Like, if you don't do this, you're going to miss out on this opportunity. Or mm-hmm. they do the, um, you know, the, the come on, man, please help me out. Like, they, 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 they tell you how great you are, they want to be your friend. Right. And then yeah. they use that compliment to get to help you out. And in some cases, they're bullies. So they push you really hard as bullies, especially purchasing to push you off your game. And in some cases, you know, buyers use some really, really, um, I, you know, dark ways of, of moving salespeople. Like, you know, you and your boss go into a, a, a meeting and then you leave and the buyer calls you up and says, man, your boss is a jerk. Everybody hated him. And so, but we really like you. We want to give you a chance, but the only way you're going to be able to stay in this is to come off your prices by 30%. Mm-hmm. And buyers, all the time. Now, not all buyers do this and not all buyers are, you know, are trying to pull one over on salespeople, but there are a lot of them out there. And the reason that I know that is because buyers go to negotiation school to learn how to deal with sellers and buyers have way more training in negotiation than sellers do. So, I mean, a lot of times it's like an amateur, a salesperson who's never been trained in negotiation going up against a professional, a buyer who lives to negotiate with salespeople. It's like an NFL team going up against a club team locally. Mm-hmm. The, right. the NFL team is going to win every single time. So, so sellers have to begin with emotion and then they have to start thinking about strategy from the very moment they enter the sales process. They have to begin there because that's when they win at the negotiation table, not when they get to the negotiation, they win at the beginning as they move through the sales process. You know, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about the idea of who's going to win and who goes in thinking they're going to win. I had a fascinating conversation with a salesperson who was born and raised in India. He said, you know, Jeff,
have, here's the problem. If you're born and raised in the United States, you go to the grocery store, you need to buy bread. You go over to the bakery section, you see the bread, you check the price tag, you buy the bread, you go over. You don't have to talk to anybody anymore. You can use the self-checkout line and you're out of there, right? He said, here's where you lost me if you were born and raised in India. What price tag? There's no price tag. You take the bread over and then you do the little dance. He said, I've been negotiating since I was three years old. And there's this that lifelong experience and how to do that. But what you say, and you've got a whole chapter called, and not to spoil a punchline here, Jeb, but uh, salespeople suck at negotiating. Right. That's you have a whole chapter called salespeople second negotiating more because of the skill set or the mindset. It's both. I mean, it's both mindset and skill set. Interesting that you mentioned India, the last chapter of the book. I talk about being in India and training salespeople in India and um, and also my experience as a young salesperson selling advertising into um, a primarily Indian business community. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to negotiate early on because the Indians pull no punches when it comes to right. negotiating. Right. But it was funny listening to Indian salespeople complain to me that Indian buyers are really hard to negotiate with. And I'm like, well, you guys grow up negotiating. I mean, how can they be, right. how can it be difficult for you? This is normal. But at the same time, they were still focused on, it was still an emotional issue for them mm-hmm. because what mm-hmm. would happen is they build a relationship with someone. And then in India, they, they'll pull that person out and bring a person who has no emotion emotional connection and to negotiate with you and mm-hmm. Indian salespeople, despite where they came from, still get caught up in the emotional hangups of wanting to be liked and, and the attachment to, um, to, you know, to wanting a person to feel like that they've helping the other person, all of right. the things that we run into as salespeople. So yeah, now, now you're back in sales EQ, tying that back in. If you, if that's off, then nothing's going to work. Absolutely. So we're, you know, we're back to salespeople and salespeople get into this with purchasing as well, but salespeople lack skill set and mindset and they lack the emotional discipline. And part of it is exactly what you said in the Western hemisphere, in Western economies in particular, we typically find negotiation to be abhorrent. We find it to be something that's below us. That doesn't mean that we, we don't still negotiate. I mean, I go to flea markets and antiques you know, shops and I negotiate mm-hmm. and we negotiate for cars to some extent, although a lot of that's going away. And, right. you know, I, I bought my wife some jewelry over Christmas and I negotiated the price of the jewelry down, but I didn't really work it hard. I mean, I worked it enough um, and I got a good enough discount that I felt good about myself, but I didn't work it hard. So, right. and, but in the Western, Western society, we, somehow or another just think it's below us and we don't get a lot of practice at it. So for, you know, to start with, we just feel like it's just, it's just emotionally difficult. It's like, um, it's, it's like, I, you know, the hard to explain it, but it's like the one thing that we wish that we didn't have to do. It's, it feels almost Mm -hmm. icky. So Mm -hmm. it's easy to to get it over with as fast as we possibly can. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been there. My young, you know, my young days as a salesperson, a buyer would say, well, I'll tell you what, if you'll do it for this, I'll buy it from you. And I went, okay. (laughs) You know, I just didn't even, I didn't even try to like, to, to save my commission check because I figured crap, well, at least I got ink on paper. It's good. And it's not until you start looking at what that discounts costing you over time and mm-hmm. your, you know, your income that it really becomes a wake up call that you got to fix this and you got to yeah. do a better job of holding prices and, and doing a much better job of negotiating with buyers. And, and so much of that begins with mindset and, and emotional control. You know, I, I often teach the concept of value purity that people will buy when they believe that the price is both 
fair and final. And I can remember way back in my sales days, uh, really, there was somebody who was from another culture, a, a, a negotiating culture, and he wore me down and he wore me down. I'll never forget at one point he accused me of, of using Stalinistic tactics, whatever that means. And, and I was so frustrated by this guy. I finally looked at him and I just said, you know what? We're done. I don't care. Buy, don't buy. These are the prices. These are the terms. It's not going to get any better. If you don't like it, just walk. I'm done. I'm just done. I'm not suggesting that that was necessarily a good negotiation technique. I said that out of complete frustration. And the guy looked at me and said, okay, I'll sign. How yep. much is this about just the idea that we are so afraid that somebody's going to walk on us that, uh, that they're going to just skip town and head over to a competitor? Because there's a gutsiness that goes in. There's a, a value belief that you have to have if you're going to approach uh, th- this uh, subject of negotiating. I know you you get into this in the book. Talk about that a little bit. In the book, I tell a story about my, I had a really great sales manager who sat down with me in January and showed me some numbers. And what he showed me was that immediately after I achieved my quota for the year, that my discounting went away. So I was discounting a little over 20%. But as soon as I made my quota, I was discounting less than 7%. Mm -hmm. So how did I do that? The way I did that was once I made my quota, I didn't need deals anymore. And when I didn't mm-hmm. deals anymore, I would say, this is how much it costs. You want it or not? Mm-hmm. So my confidence level went up, right? And and I was willing to walk away. But before that, I was exactly what you said. I was afraid that if I negotiated, I would lose a deal. And imagine you're a salesperson and you got a thin pipeline or you, you're, you know, you're way behind quota. You run around with the same level of fear. Now, before I changed my quota and after I changed my quota, the prices, the product, and the buyers didn't change. The only thing that changed was me. And mm-hmm. it was the way that I was approaching buyers. But with that said, you know, we can go back to fanatical prospecting and I can tell you the pipe is life. You have a great mm-hmm. pipeline, you're going to be a better negotiator. At the same time, you have to have strategies and tactics and techniques that make you a better, better negotiator. And through the sales process, as you're moving through the sales process, allow you to begin bending the probability that you're going to win in your favor. And in the book, the heart of this book is something called MLP strategy and Mm -hmm. it's motivation, leverage, and power. And, and basically it's game strategy. It's the chessboard of sales. And the thing that makes, and this is where, you know, a Chris Foss and, you know, never split the distance, amazing book. I mean, this guy's a mega bestseller, but the one thing that that separates inked from all those other books is that in inked, I'm clear about this. And this is the truth. You cannot separate sales negotiation from the sales process. You can't, it's all integrated. And the problem with most negotiating training in books is that negotiating is taught as if it's something separate, like you do all this other work and then you negotiate and it doesn't work that way. You're winning or losing at the negotiation table from your very first meeting. So what MLP strategy is, is teaching salespeople how to bend their motivation down. That's, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose a deal. So the more Mm -hmm. motivated I am to win the deal, the more I'm willing to give away to get there. So bend my motivation down while increasing the motivation of the buyer to do business with you. Mm -hmm. It also teaches them how to reduce the buyer's power. Power is derived from alternatives. So the fewer alternatives that a buyer has, the more the less power they have. So as you go through the process, through your questions, 
through your business case, your presentation, what you're doing is you're helping eliminate the buyer's alternative, including the alternative of doing nothing. And the way we do that is using leverage. Now, in every sales negotiation, when salespeople walk in, not everyone, but pretty much everyone, the salesperson is at a disadvantage. Buyers almost always have more power than salespeople. Nobody tells you that. That's just the truth. The truth mm-hmm. is that you typically go in, buyer's in a better position than you are. So from the moment you walk through the door, the only way that you can move a buyer who has more power than you have and bend them back to your process so that you can engineer removing alternatives and increasing their motivation to do business with you is through leverage. And for example, if you walk through the door and Jeff, I sit down with you in the first meeting, you say, listen, Jeff, I tell you what, this sounds really good. Why don't you just give me your prices and we'll make a decision from there. If I give you my prices, I give you all my leverage. Mm-hmm. My leverage is all. But if I say, Jeff, yeah. you know, I'd love to give you my prices, but my prices are all tailored to my clients. And so the ne- very next thing I need to do is I need to sit down and go through a tour of your facility and meet some of your people so I can better understand your business. And then once I get there, I can put together a proposal and then you guys are sit down. I'll give you a proposal and then we can talk about the business case and then we can do this. As long as I'm holding my leverage, my prices, you're going to be willing to jump through those hoops with me. And if you're willing to jump with me, I'm able to one step at a time, begin changing the way that you look at the deal so that I'm reducing your alternatives, reducing your power. And by the way, building a relationship with you. So you like me more. And if you like me more and you feel comfortable with me and you trust me, sales EQ, for example, then Mm -hmm. suddenly you're more motivated. Well, the more motivated a stakeholder is, the less power they naturally have because motivation begins to remove other alternatives. And, And through the course of the book, we talk about how you do this, but it's critical that salespeople get this, that when you walk through the door, your mind needs to be on when you're sitting there negotiating. And what you're doing through the sales process is changing the the shape of the negotiating table through the way that you approach the buyer. And when you start using those techniques, suddenly you become a much, much, much better negotiator. Let's extend on that a little bit and talk about uh, putting yourself in a position to be a great negotiator. And so if I looked at it and said, you know, give, give me just off the top of your head, at least a partial list here, don't negotiate until what? What are some of the benchmarks that I need to be looking at to make sure that I'm not jumping the gun here? Don't negotiate until what? Oh my God, Jeff, what a great statement. Um, it's like Mad Lib, but don't negotiate until you <laughs> do not negotiate until you've won. This is rule number one of sales negotiation. You do not negotiate until they have chosen you as their vendor. This is a really, really hard thing, Jeff, for salespeople to get because most salespeople are never in that situation. What most salespeople are doing is this. They're negotiating with themselves really early on. So the the buyer says, listen, if you want to get to the next round, you've got to come off your prices by 10%. So we start Mm -hmm. negotiating with the buyer, but they've not picked us. So rule number one, rule number one, rule number one is you never negotiate until you've won. Now, Mm -hmm. winning is not always explicit. Explicit would be if you said, Jeb, look, I really, really love you. I want to do business with you, but like that's explicit choice. You said, I want to do business with you, but now we need to negotiate the but. That's fine. Implicit is when you have a coach and they say, well, listen, the, the stakeholder group really, really likes you or 
they stop talking about other competitors or they start bringing you in for more things, or you can start tell, telling that, you know, through the way that they're dealing with you, that they're really into you. When you get explicit or implicit, I, I think that they really want to do business with me. You need to ask, do you want to do business with me? Just ask the question and see where you are mm-hmm. because the, Number one thing that you want to avoid doing is giving away your prices, your terms and conditions, unless you're the vendor of choice. I'll give you a great example of this. So we had a company that came to my company, Sells Gravy, um, for professional services. They were looking for some help with um, standing up their CRM. And they were giving us, you know, like a lot of buyers would do, well, we're looking at several different vendors. We're looking at this, 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 and this. And my CSO, uh, Jason Eatman, who was doing, doing the deal, really, really smart cat. Um, he totally gets this, wait till I'm vendor of choice. And they come to him and say, listen, we need you to come off um, your rate by 20%. Then he says, no. He says, I, I cannot come up my rate until um, you've picked me. If you pick me, I'll be happy to negotiate, but I'm not negotiating until you choose me as your vendor. And they were like flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. So they went away and they came back again and said, listen, we, you know, we're, we've, we've narrowed it down to a couple of competitors, but we need, you, we need you to come back with a better rate. And Jason said, listen, this is the best rate that I have. Now, if you decide that you want to pick me as your vendor, and you want to talk about our terms and conditions? Like, I'm happy to have that conversation with you, but I'm not negotiating until you've made the choice to pick us. And by the way, we do the same thing with references. We won't give you a reference until you've made the choice to pick us. And then we'll give you a reference. We hold those things. So finally, the third time they came back and said, listen, we really want to do business with you, but your prices are a little bit more than what we have budgeted. And Jason said, great. What do you have budgeted? And then negotiated a deal and signed a deal. But he wasn't giving away anything until they made the choice for him. Now, that was really blatant, but believe it or not, it works because otherwise you lose pricing integrity, you lose your, your you know, terms and conditions integrity, and you start giving things away. And essentially, you're negotiating with yourself or you're bidding against other vendors, but you are not negotiating to ink the deal. I, the reason this is so hard for people to get is, is, Jeff, essentially, most salespeople are never in this position. They're right. not going through the sales process. They're showing up and throwing up. They walk through the door. They throw rates at people. A group of salespeople I was with just recently, you know, they lead with discount. I can give you 20% off. So they, they're negotiating away their discount from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But if you follow the process, like if you go all the way through, step by step by step by step, and you get to the point where you give people your proposal, you're at a place where you can ask. You can say, do you want to do business with me? Or it makes, I think it makes sense for us to do business. What's the next step? And you, and the whole goal is to get people to buy you. By the way, this works as well. When you, when you win and and a lot of times we'll win because we win really big deals and then we have to go to purchasing. So the stakeholder group has picked us and then purchasing wants to negotiate. And because we're the vendor of choice, we don't need to negotiate with with purchasing. We just tell Mm -hmm. purchasing back to the stakeholders because we're already the vendor of choice and we've already made a decision on what the prices are. And very, right. very, very often, you know, the, the purchasing people will, will very quickly acquiesce and then we'll mm-hmm. get the deal done versus yeah. I'm not the vendor of choice. And now I'm going to purchasing and then I'm at their mercy. Yeah. It seems to me that if you want to uh, negotiate at that level, the only way you even possibly have a choice to try and negotiate against everybody else is if you are that one supplier 
that can absolutely hands down beat everybody else on price alone. And if you're that person, you're probably not somebody we want to do business with in the first place. So if you consider that we've got a great product and we've got a great service and you should be charging more. And so now what happens? What's the old saying? Don't wrestle with a pig. You'll just get dirty and the pig will like it. But if you're just going to be in the muck with everybody else who's trying to buy a deal by dropping the price down, it can't ever happen. We're almost out of time. One more. Don't negotiate until. Give us one more. That was a great gem. Don't negotiate until you've won. Give us one more. Don't negotiate until what? Let me give you a different one. Don't negotiate until you are prepared to play to win. And what I mean by that is, and this is back back to mindset. So many salespeople walk into sales negotiations with the mindset of, I want win-win. I want to put together a win-win deal. And, mm-hmm. I, and I believe Chris talks a lot about this as well and uh, never split the difference, mm-hmm. but don't negotiate if you think that it's win-win, because I want to say this as clearly as I can. I'm going to try to get my voice right. The buyers that you are negotiating with are not negotiating for win-win. They are negotiating to win for their team. So before you go in, make sure you understand that, that your job as a salesperson, just like your buyers, is to win for your team. Your job is to hold your profits. Your job is to hold your commission. Your job is to get terms and conditions for your your contracts that allows you to provide the service that you promised. Now, that doesn't mean that your job is to win at all costs because there are relationships involved here. So you have to preserve the relationship and you have to manage the relationship, but you should never negotiate unless you are prepared to go in and win for your team. And that's the one rule that if you will just put that in your head and start thinking that way, because that's how buyers think, walk in to win, then you'll start from a place of abundance you feel comfortable where you know that you have the confidence to win and you will negotiate much better deals that will give you a higher income and will do the right thing for your company. And ultimately when you negotiate better deals, it does the right thing for the buyers because it gives you the resources that you need to provide service levels to your buyers that retains those buyers over the long haul and make some customers for life. His name is Jeb Blunt, and even when he is ill of voice, uh, he still drops truth bombs here that are just absolutely amazing and very helpful. That that wasn't just entertaining, Jeb. That was something that uh, is, I think I'm going to allow our audience to go back and say, I need to do business differently. And I just want to encourage you, if you're in the sales business, the book is called Inked. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. And make sure you go over to salesgravy.com. If you're not following Jeb, what he does on his podcast, what he does uh, in just a host of opportunities, including online learning. Uh, It's all there at salesgravy.com. Jeb, as always, uh, exceeded my expectations. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for being on The Buyer's Mind. Thanks, Jeff. All right, there you have it. Uh, It was such a phenomenal conversation. And you can see this is heavy duty and it needs to be studied. So I want to make the recommendation to you that you're not just buying the book and not just reading the book, but that you're practicing 
the book. That's right. Not just applying, but practicing that you're looking and you're saying, how do I get good before I talk to a customer? You don't want to practice on your customer. You want to get good at this before you talk to your customer. And so if we look at it and we think about the principles that Jeb was talking about, the idea of motivation and leverage and power and about don't negotiate until you've won. And certainly the concept of emotional control, there's some beefy, beefy stuff. You're not going to want to miss out. Such a great book. We thank Jeb for being on the show. We thank you for listening to The Buyer's Mind. Uh, as always, we surely appreciate when you find an episode you really like, post it on your social media page. We always love the opportunity to grow our audience. And at this point, we grow the audience most because of your endorsement. So if you're enjoying it, please, please, please pass the message along. Until next time, go out there and change someone's world. Oh,